Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 19, episode 19 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kimbui Bomani. And today we have another special guest, Light On Sports, known, uh, known otherwise as Jonathan Dobbins, is here on set. He's been making waves on the Instagram social media page in terms of covering FCS sports, more specifically FCS football. Light On, you're here today. I just want you to further talk about your product, uh, your page, what it means for not only the coverage of FCS sports on a social media platform, but the impact it's had for those athletes that you've been able to outreach and shine a light on in terms of their productivity at the sports level. First off, I want to start off by saying uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, I've listened to many episodes and you're doing a great job. And I created Light On Sports shortly after I graduated from Jacksonville State University last year with a bachelor's degree in business management. And I graduated in the summer class of 2020 in July, and I started Light On Sports in August. And during this time, I was still working at the grocery store in my hometown that I worked at throughout college. And so uh, I was job hunting for a job in my uh, field that I just graduated in, but I still wanted to pursue my dream of covering sports since I was a kid. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to uh, start covering college football on the side. So I was working at the grocery store, but uh, every Saturday for the fall 2020 uh, season, I was just making recaps of a couple of games, mostly in the SEC because that's in my area in Alabama where I live at. So um, I started doing that and I gained around about a thousand uh, likes and followers on Facebook, which was the only page I had then was just Facebook when I started off. And then um, in September, uh, I believe it was the last week of September, uh, I saw where Deion Sanders was hired by Jackson State. And that was very interesting to me because I, I followed Dion on Instagram. I never watched him play uh, live, but I've always kept up with him, uh, like watching him on NFL Network when he used to do the coverage uh, with them, uh, his 30 for 30, his YouTube clips and all that. And uh, I seen where uh, Dion got hired at Jackson State uh, during like the last week of September of 2020 and that was very interesting to me. I've uh, followed uh, Dion since he was a commentator on NFL Network. Uh, I watched his 30 for 30, um, seen his YouTube clips, but I never got to watch him play live, but he was just still one of my favorite uh, figures in uh, football. And so I followed him because uh, I seen that he was an assistant coach for his son at Trinity High School. And so I watched all the YouTube videos of uh, the show they have on YouTube of him uh, coaching his son, well, Shallow and Shadur. And so um, I decided, like, I'm going to keep an eye on how he handles being a head coach uh, at Jackson State because I never thought that Dion would even be interested in coaching um, college football. I knew he was interested in coaching his sons, but I didn't know he wanted to take it to the next level and coach at Jackson, well, just college period. So then I continued to uh, cover SEC football every Saturday. Uh, 
during my off time. And um, around December, um, the early signing period started for college football. And Dion uh, began to make some noise. And I started covering that uh, because I was interested in it. Like, I didn't care that my <laughs> I had a whole bunch of ACC fans on my page, but I was still uh, posting about Dion. And because Dion was uh, still coaching his sons even after he got hired at Jackson State. But I believe around December is when he really focused on uh, the Jackson State job. And so the first um, recruit I posted on the Facebook page was when uh, Javante Gardner, I believe he was a defensive player, but he flipped from Florida to Jackson State. And when I posted that, um, it got a lot of shares. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. People are really interested in this Dion story. So I was like, I'm going to keep this going. And then uh, another player, I believe his name was Trevante Rucker, a wide receiver, flipped from Florida to Jackson State also. So that was two four stars in like a one-week period uh, that uh, trans well, that committed to Jackson State. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on this. So I continued to cover uh, SEC football. Uh, like my main coverage was Alabama. And they went to the championship and did their thing and won. And um, then I noticed, uh, I believe I saw it uh, from Bleacher Report or somewhere that FCS football is going to begin, uh, I believe it was it. I forgot how I saw it, but I noticed that LCS football is going to have a spring season. I was like, okay. And then I looked and I noticed that Jackson State is in the LCS and the SWAC is playing uh, in the spring also. So I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. We're going to get to see Dion already because I was thinking we were going to have to wait till uh, September of 2021 to see him. So I was like, man, this is going to be great. So, um, the first week of LCS football was just a couple of games in the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, the first game was actually a Friday night game. It was South Dakota State versus Northern Iowa. It was a really great game. I only posted one highlight of that game. It was the last uh, play of the game. Pierre Strong, a running back for South Dakota State, uh, scored the game winner on like a 20-yard run touchdown. And uh, it got a couple of shares, not not uh, too big, but it was just a start. Like I'm I'm a football fan. I don't care if it's uh, if football is on, I'm going to watch it. If it's uh, middle school on ESPN, I don't care what it is. I, I just enjoy watching football. So uh, I covered that game, and then the following week, uh, Jackson State and Edward Waters were playing. And North Dakota State was playing against um, who were they playing? I forgot. Oh, Yonston Yonston State. Okay, and Jackson State was going through some type of winter storm during that uh, week, and I wasn't sure that they were going to have a game. But I was hoping. I was like, man, I can't wait to see Dion have this game. I'm ready to uh, cover it, this story, and I was just trying to find ways to promote it. Um, because I was uh, really, after hearing Dion speak uh, during his press conference at Jackson State uh, when he first got hired, uh, 
that inspired me to want to cover uh, his story in HBCU football. And he always talked about leveling the playing field. And I was like, I want to help him level the playing field. So I was like, I'm going to cover this story. So uh, I never did this before. I, I made a double game of the week. So I had uh, Jackson State versus Edward Waters and um, North Dakota State versus Youngstown State. And um, it got a lot of shares when I made it because I, I'm not sure if anybody else made games of the week. I'm pretty sure it probably has, but I don't know if it was posted the way like I create pictures. And that's another thing. I try to make my pictures be flashy and more like the NFL, just try to, uh, because I want to level the playing field when, when it comes to product of uh, making pictures and everything. So I tried to make a flashy uh, picture, had like a background of um, like, I believe it was New York City or whatever, but I tried to make it flashy. And so it got a lot, as I started making the player of the games, um, it, I didn't know it was going to be this big because like uh, I thought, uh, I didn't know, like, I wasn't into um, LCS football. I didn't know, like, how any other networks were doing it uh, before me. But I, I got shares from, like, bookstores of the universities of the uh, LCS schools. And I was like, wow, like, even the, like, the main university pages are paying attention to the player of the games. And I didn't know it was that big of a deal. But once I began to realize that... Uh, they're they're just thankful for any coverage any exposure that they get and i was like wow this is why i'm here and so it it really means a lot to me to uh even be on this platform to uh be able to use my abilities with making pictures and uh to make somebody else a day making a university uh administrator day like it's amazing uh i didn't know it was going to be like this when i first started and it's a uh, it's been a great experience yeah i just want to elaborate on that for you as well it kind of landed at a convenient time for me as well dion comes to jackson state and that's kind of where your page kind of hits my radar i start following it and it's representation not just jackson state other hbcu programs other fcs programs as well and so like off script as well He'll kind of make a case that your ability to gravitate towards covering FCS football coincided within Dion coming into the program. You say you want to be a part of leveling the playing field and bringing notoriety, not just to Jackson State, but other HBCU football programs that don't get that spotlight. From where you started to where you are now, just describe how much you feel like you're making a difference and how far do you think that difference can evolve into down the line? Well, so first, um, I believe I'm making a difference because I'm getting these players' names on the radar uh, because, like I said, I did start off with uh, SEC only, and these SEC fans are still following my page. And so they're seeing, uh, like I'm just making up a name, like say Ladarius Skelton from Southern had a game where he ran for 150 yards and had 300 yards throwing and two touchdowns. I'm just making those stats. But um, this SEC fan saw it like, wow, they 
uh, this this kid can play in the swag and so they shared and it, it gets out there so this player gets exposure and so like that's one part of it and then another part is um i know my page isn't big but i believe uh someone from uh the big networks uh espn i'm pretty sure they have somebody paying attention to uh what's going on um because i uh i made a post about um Jackson State and the SWAC uh, getting a TV uh, deal uh, for the spring where I believe most of the games was on ESPN3. And so uh, it got a lot of shares. And then after uh, the Grambling State and Jackson State game, I made a post um, on Instagram and Facebook because I saw it. I forgot where I saw it from. But Jackson State was like the number one trend in the United States. Uh, the Gremlin State versus Jackson State game was the number one trend in the United States. And I made a post about it. I was like, uh, all eyes are on Jackson State. And then the following week, you hear, boom, Jackson State versus uh, Mississippi Valley State will be on ESPN, too. I was like, I wondered it. They uh, realized that uh, Jackson State was the number one trend on Twitter. And so I just try to find ways to promote uh, the HBCU schools along with LCS. Uh, and I just try to find different creative ways to try to make an impact to get more exposure to these schools. As we delve into the first topic, we're going to further elaborate on Jackson State University and their activity in the transfer portal. Uh, recently, they lost Dale and Baldwin to the transfer portal, but they've been able to obtain a requisite amount of receiving weapons that will ultimately probably take Baldwin's spot. Um, Shane Hooks from Ohio is one of those, among others. Just talk about the institution's activity within the transfer portal. They're adding a lot of weapons to the receiving core. That's already talented with Corey Reed Jr. and Newman in the slot. And do you feel like they'll do more good than harm? That's a great question. So I believe that they will be all right. I believe they're going to jail uh, in this two-month period. And in a couple of those players, Shane Hooks, uh, Keith Corbin, uh, have already been practicing with uh, Jackson State during this spring season. And uh, Joshua Lanier from Alabama, I mean, he he had to learn Nick Saban's playbook. So I believe he'll be uh, able to learn uh, Jackson State offense pretty fast. I believe they'll be all right. And I'm really looking forward to uh, JSU game against FAMU. That's going to be a great one. Like Jackson State, the rest of the FCS football programs all had to play in the spring. There was no FCS football in the fall. Spring season has been complete. Sam Houston State ran away with their first national championship. And as we segue into the fall, them along with South Dakota State both had surprising seasons. South Dakota State, known as North Dakota State's little brother, when it comes to competition between the two teams, they were able to triumph against them in the regular season. Sam Houston State is a team that, I think two years prior, weren't even a 10-win team. And all of a sudden, they go undefeated, and they have three comfort-behind victories in the playoffs against North Dakota State, against James Madison, and then last but not least against South Dakota State. Let's start with the Bearcats first. They're building something that's impactful, and they're going to be in a new conference within the FCS. Can they be 
can they translate their spring national championship success into fall postseason success as well? Or do you kind of look at them as a program that benefited from an oddity of a season in a pandemic and could be labeled as a fluky type of team? I believe they can do it. They have a lot of great pieces on offense and their head coach, um, he's been there, done that. He He's going to have them ready in the fall also. I believe they just have to stay focused. Um, the conference they're moving to, uh, there's not too many uh, teams that were in the top 25 from this previous year. So I believe they'll do well. They do have one test against my alma mater, uh, Jackson, Jacksonville State. And um, that's going to be a great game to watch. But I believe they will be a contender in the LCS uh, for 2021-2022 season. Oh, South Dakota State, uh, they're going to be uh, back uh, next year. I believe they're going to be a contender. Uh, They have uh, two freshmen, uh, Mark Gronowski and Isaiah Davis, who led their team to the national title. And they have some uh, nice pieces on defense. Uh, Dom Garner, uh, cornerback, uh, I've seen that he's on the radar to get drafted. And I believe they will be a contender, but they will have a tougher uh, route to the uh, LCS playoffs this upcoming fall with North Dakota coming. North Dakota State uh, is back. I believe they're going to be back to their winning ways. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, things fare out uh, in the Missouri Valley Conference this fall. North Dakota State had a unique year. Trey Lance was their expected incoming starter when things were much normal before the pandemic. He plays in that one game in the fall to kind of showcase his draft upside. And then when the spring commences, he doesn't play with the complete team. So quarterback issues were prevalent with the Bison. And due to inexperience and trying to find an identity at the signal caller helm they kind of subsided as a unit they were able to make the playoffs but eventually lost to the national champion Bearcats as they're trying to find their identity at the signal caller position do you think them having a summer practice a summer session heading into the fall will help them further gain an identity also coinciding with the fact that they played particularly well due to the insane circumstances in the spring to coincide with probably finding a true signal caller at the quarterback position. Quarterback Quincy Patterson is able to do the same. Um, he's the same type of quarterback, so he fits their system very well. And I'm pretty sure Quincy uh, saw that uh, Carson Wentz was uh, the number two pick. Trey Lance was the number three pick in the draft. And I'm pretty sure he's like, hey, I'm going to get drafted also. So he's going to uh, put on a show in Fargo. Last but not least, I want to give love to the SWAC teams as well. Alabama A&M and the coaches pool were able to finish in the top 20, 19 to be exact. They're reigning SWAC champions from the spring. They come into a very competitive SWAC fall where Bethune, Cookman, and FAMU, who didn't play in the spring, will be incorporated, as did the reigning fall champions in Alcorn State. So when we look at the SWAC, there's a chance they can have multiple programs represent the FCS in the top 25. Let's start with Alabama A&M in terms of what they built in the spring. Their offense is explosive, led by Akil Glass. Can they continue their success from the spring and be fall swag champions when it counts in terms of all the competitive chips are in the circle and they're having to compete against all levels of competition from JSU, Alcorn, 
FAMU, Bethune-Cookman, and even Southern? That's a great question. So um, I really like Alabama A&M. Um, they have a, a nice core of wide receivers, um, like three wide receivers who can go get it. And you got the best quarterback in a swag with Akil Glass, who's on the radar of uh, NFL scouts. Um, um, but I believe it's going to be a big challenge for them to make it back to the SWAT championship. Like uh, JSU is going to be fully loaded with this number one LCS recruiting class that they have, all the LPS transfers, and then you have Alcorn State, uh, the pre-defending champs. Of. Uh, now you have uh, Southern. I believe they're still going to be in the midst along with, um, we don't know what FAMU and Bethune-Cookman are going to bring to the table. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, they get through this tough uh, SWAC season that's coming uh, this fall. We're going to basketball in the mid-major stratosphere, something that you've acknowledged that you're going to add in terms of enhancing coverage on your Light On Sports Instagram page. John Morant, is an individual who comes from Murray State, plays currently with the Memphis Grizzlies, and just is coming off of a terrific playoff run, his first time in the playoffs. He played particularly well as an individual. His team was in some rather close games from game one through four before they were blown out the water in game five by a better Utah Jazz team. Just talk about his maturity process from playing at Murray State to where he is now. Because if I am to recollect, you've acknowledged that you've seen him play at the collegiate level before he became what he is now, this dynastic talent. Yes, I got an opportunity to see John Morant play my junior year uh, at Jacksonville State. It was in uh, 2019. Yes, 2019. He got drafted in uh, June, and I seen him play in January 2019. And he put on a show, uh, super athletic, uh, crazy dunks. Uh, made some nice passes. I knew when I seen his court vision that he was going to make it in the NBA. And so to see his transition to win the rookie of the year in the NBA to now um, making the playoffs in his second year, um, <coughs> sorry, sc scored the most points in NBA history in a playoff game for a player under 22 years old. And so it's great to see his progress, and I believe um, that he's only going to get better. He's going to be a top five point guard in this league uh, within the next couple of years. You know, Morant has a unique story in terms of understanding the fact of where he came from to where he is now. We all know he's on the same AAU team with Zion Williamson, but his we all know about his recruiting story where he wasn't recruited by the big dogs within the state. And Murray State gave him a flyer just off, of, just off of a coach going really to see someone else and they seen the innate upside and talent within Morant. He's been able to translate his collegiate success to the pro level as being a mid-major talent. How important do you think as light on sports are you going to be in terms of covering these mid-major prospects and being able to shine light on their talent? Because we all know when the basketball season's over, the draft process comes. And we know about individuals making their names known in March Madness. But there may be a talent that doesn't get the chance to be in March Madness who was making tons of noise within a mid-major conference. How important is it for you to shed light on his story 
to further elevate his notoriety within the public eye that can enhance his pro draft stock come June and July. Yes. So John Morant is one of the main reasons why um, I decided to make a trend uh, to add mid major basketball to uh, the coverage of light on sports. So, because um, someone found John Morant, like I, I saw a highlight video of him, like dunking over somebody. Uh, I believe I forgot who it was against, but I was like, Whoa, who is this kid? And so I started researching. And then I looked, I saw, I saw the Murray state Jersey. And then I was like, Oh, he's in the same conference as Jacksonville state. Uh, and so I looked him up and then he just kept on blowing up and blowing up with crazy dunks. And now uh, he's here. Uh, but I was like, I may have an opportunity. How, how about I use my platform to see if I can find the next John Morant and try to give them exposure. Uh, like I, I may not have uh, a million followers on Instagram, but the people who follow me, maybe they can share and get it to the uh, right person who will be able to, uh, share this with a scout or someone so yes that's that is the uh, purpose of adding mid-major basketball is to uh, shine a light on these players and hopefully be able to be a bridge uh, to help them get to the next level staying on the topic of NBA basketball the playoffs is still going on the Western Conference playoff semifinal field has been set as we've seen the Clippers beat the Dallas Mavericks in seven Let's focus on your surprise that you have may seen. And it could be a team or it can be a player from what you saw in the first round. What surprised you the most in the Eastern Conference, seeing all these playoff series come to conclusions at such a rapid rate? The biggest surprise to me was Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I I knew Trey Young was good. I followed him from Oklahoma and, and all his uh, making three pointers from the logo, NBA logo, and all this stuff. But I didn't know he had that it factor when it comes to the playoffs. Like he looked like he was not scared of the moment. He went to the garden, put on a show, had the fans booing him, and he just lit it up on the court. And they even won today against the Sixers. Like he really impressed me with the way he handled his first uh, NBA playoff series against the New York Knicks. So he, that was my uh, biggest surprise in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, uh, I, I'm agree with you. You know, Trey Young, talented player. I wasn't with, I didn't coincide with a lot of people's viewpoints where coming into the league as a rookie, he had this horrendous summer league. And so a lot of people were like, he's going to be a bust because he didn't play well. Well, in the summer league, he didn't do things that were his labeled strengths coming out of college, didn't shoot the ball well, didn't finish at the rim with, you know, the dexterity and things of that nature. But he was able to kind of put it all together throughout his young career. And in the playoffs, I was like, he's talented, but his weaknesses were at times he would get too gun ho, where he would be trying to make all of these crazy logo shots on a regular basis. And I felt like maybe the Knicks would have the defensive ability and scheme to neutralize him, make him uncomfortable and make him kind of coincide to what he used to be early on in his career and not what he is now, which is, in my opinion, a more higher volume version of Steve Nash. And early on, just like in the Sixers series for a half, but in the Knicks series, it was for five games. He controlled the game at his own pace. He was able to get to the lane, 
He was able to involve everyone else on his team. And he was able to pick his spot. So while he did have time to take logo threes and things of that nature, it wasn't with this immense volume that he had early in his career. He was able to pick and prod and predicate his game on how the defense was kind of playing him. And the biggest thing with Young is if you can't keep him off the lane, it's going to be a tough afternoon because he feeds off of getting penetration inside first. It allows the defense to suck in on him. And now that presents an ability to pass and to kick it to the perimeter for open shots and also opens up the door for him to shoot the logo threes because now you're worried about him blowing by you and now that gives him enough space to kind of rock into a straightaway three and knock it down in a mid favor. So I agree. He was my biggest shot for me out east as well as an individual talent because I think everybody expected the Knicks to find a defense top two in the league to do damage and they really couldn't stop Trey Young from being Trey Young. Yesterday, I saw you wearing the Milwaukee Bucks jersey, coincided with the fact that the Bucks were having that playoff game against the Nets, the most anticipated playoff game probably in the Eastern Conference semis, in Eastern or Western Conference semifinals. They didn't get the win last night. What were your thoughts about how they performed? And I'm assuming you're a Bucks fan. Are you worried or are you optimistic on what they can add on to where they left off from game one against Brooklyn? So I'm not a Bucks fan, but I did wear the jersey just because uh, Giannis was in the playoffs and they were playing yesterday. But I will uh, make some uh, thought. I will say my thoughts on the Bucks. Um, I believe they played well during the begin, the first half of the game, but uh, Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Uh, they they turned it on in the second half along with I was really surprised by the play of Blake Griffin yesterday like I didn't know he was going to be this physical like eight I believe he had 18 and 12 like um, I remember when he was in Detroit he was not he was playing nothing like this and like he has really turned into like he's he's accepting the role of being the fourth go-to guy and he's just doing the dirty work, getting the rebounds, getting blocks. Like, I was surprised to see Blake Griffin play so well yesterday. Uh, When it came to Brooklyn, when James Harden went out, I think we all thought, oh, he's gone. Bucks now have a chance to maybe not only bridge the gap in this game, but as the series goes on, take control of the series because we all viewed Harden as being not the glue, but the most important player on the team because of his playmaking ability. That's what made Brooklyn godlike. I mean, you know, last series, him, Irving, Durant combined yeah, for 103 points <laughs> in the next to last game. He, that's insane. But he goes out, and it's like Brooklyn kind of became what everybody thought they would be early in the year before Harden. Durant, Irving were going to be the offensive guys, the offensive go-to weapons. They're going to stir the drink. But their man movement and ball movement and the motion offense was a new wrinkle. And they kind of got to do whatever they wanted against a Milwaukee defense that was vaunted last round. And the difference that this Nets team presents than what the Heat did when they played Milwaukee, yes, they're not big. Just like Miami, Brooklyn's not a big team. But Irving and Durant are so lethal from deep, and so is Joe Harris, and they could score a multitude of ways that, you know, closing off the paint, doesn't do anything for them uh you're gonna have to be able to guard them beyond the line 
And there were a lot of times where Blake Griffin, you want to live with him taking shots. He got wide open looks. Kyrie Irving really had the defense at his mercy. No one's really able to keep him in a stationary spot. And while Tucker gave Durant issues early, later on, Durant is Durant. He's going to get to his spots and he's going to make it rain from there. I think the troubling factors were Joe Harris wasn't given the amount of attention that he should have been given. He had 19 and a lot of his threes were wide open too. And then you have the likes of Mike James give you 12. And the big thing with Milwaukee is they're not as deep as what people say they are. Their bench is Forbes and Portis. And when Forbes shoots bricks until garbage time and Portis is neutralized because there's taller guys on Brooklyn's team, Claxton, or guys like Blake Griffin who just are strong and physical, now you're really relying on Middleton, Andrew Holiday to score 25-plus a night. And while I think Middleton has the capability to do so, I don't know what Drew Holiday does. And I think that presents an issue for the Bucs long-term against an explosive offense like Brooklyn. And the last topic I want to touch base on before we wrap this podcast up, the Lakers' exit was premature for all of us. I mean, we all probably thought the Lakers were going to at least get to the conference finals, maybe play the Clippers. That's not going to happen at all. They dip in the first round. Is it safe to say that the main reason why they lost was because their best player, Anthony Davis, got hurt? And moving forward, can LeBron James be the best player on a championship-winning team? And if he can't even be that, is it safe to say he might not be able to be the second-best player on a championship-winning team? And the Lakers' mentality should be moving forward is to surround pieces of consistency from a talent perspective around an aging Hall of Famer that just really can't carry the torch like that anymore. So I really don't believe that uh, this Lakers team was built to make a championship run this year, even with a healthy AD. Uh, I just don't believe with with the amount of talent in the West, uh, the shooting ability of other teams that the Lakers could keep up. I believe they were going to make it to the second round, and I believe that was it. But they even surprised me when they didn't make it out the first round. Um, but that, I believe AD had some part to do with that because of his injury. But this team didn't have uh, – like the they got rid of Danny Green, Dwight Howard. Uh, they got rid of him also. And I expected Montrez Harrell to make a bigger impact on his team. But we see uh, it seemed like it didn't work out this first year. But the lack of shooting was – uh, I believe the biggest downfall for this Lakers team. Uh, I watched the last two games and it seemed like they couldn't buy a bucket for like five minute spans. I was like, wow, this is crazy. And yes, you could tell that LeBron is getting up there in age, but I believe he's still LeBron James. Like he's not going to be making super athletic dunks anymore, but I believe he can still facilitate like the way he's always been able to, to do, which is the best in the game. And I believe he can give you 20 points, uh, eight rebounds a night. So I don't think you want to, like, build around him for the next five years. But if you if the Lakers are really in a win now, I believe you can still make uh, a couple of moves to uh, have some shooters around him for the next couple of years. I can agree on the shooter part. Their shooting was atrocious. Now, their shooting was atrocious last year as well throughout the year and it was but it got better in the bubble and while they weren't blowing people out of the water from deep they're making timely shots from three and there were guys you really didn't expect caruso isn't bad but caruso and ronda was making some shots as well 
They were just able to overwhelm people with their size and their physicality inside. They weren't able to do that this year, and they weren't making any type of timely buckets. And so I think that was an issue with the Lakers where, you're right, if they beat Phoenix long-term, could they come out the West? No, because their shooting was going to come back to bite them against a team like Denver, Phoenix, Utah, or the Clippers, who honestly shoot better than the Lakers by far. So you were going to need to – if you weren't going to outshoot those teams, you better stop them from outshooting you, and I don't think L.A. was going to consistently be able to do that. However, on LeBron's side, this is his second time in three seasons. He's been injury prone. So I think people need to understand and at least accept the fact that he's declining. And when your body's declining, you're more um, susceptible to injuries. And, you know, he had the growing injuries first time with L.A. And then he had the freak ankle injury with Solomon Hill. And we all thought with the ankle injury, he's going to be fine. He's LeBron. He never gets hurt. And he comes back and he's not injured, so he could still play. But you could tell the decline from that injury and him hurrying up his recovery was there. The bounce wasn't there. His finishing ability around the win wasn't there. And it got so bad to where when he was in the painted area, they didn't double him. Guys were just guarding him one-on-one because the coaching staff felt like the LeBron that we know isn't there anymore to destroy us for guarding him single-handedly in the post. So I think because of that, L.A. probably needs to do a couple things. AD can't be your best player and LeBron can't be your best player because they stay injured. So you need to find somebody that, well, AD probably can be your best player, but you need to find somebody that can give AD and LeBron reprieve. That's why you're hearing Damian Lillard talks be surrounded throughout Laker Nation. And while I don't think they'll be able to get Damian Lillard, I think they need to find creative ways to where if somebody, to where if LeBron is the second best player on the team, he's got a supporting cast around him to where if he's not on, the team can win. Like the Clippers. Granted, Kawhi and Paul George played good, but Terrence Mann gave you 13. Batum gave you 11. Kennard gave you 9. Marcus Morris gave you 21. Well, the role players are making Tommy buckets and being offensive participants to where you can win if a LeBron is having a down game or AD's in foul trouble or AD's hurt. So that's my perspective. On oh, yes. And I believe in this plan, it looks like it's not working out right now. I believe that's what they had in mind with Kyle Kuzma, but it looks like he is not that guy. I'm not trying to put him down or anything, but these past couple of years, he hasn't showed up when it's time to show up in the playoffs. And I won't be surprised if, uh, if he's shifted out of town uh, this upcoming offseason. Yeah, I agree. Kuzma was going to be their third option, uh, ideally. Schroeder coming within the full was ideally going to be their fourth option, too. None of that was able to really materialize. And so now they're at a point of no return. I don't expect Kuzma to come back either. I think his days are numbered. Schroeder is a question mark. I think for the right price, they could bring him back, especially since he bypassed a contract extension. I think they're going to put the chips in. They try to go after Lillard. They can't get Lillard. I think I could see them keeping Schroeder. And they just need to, I think the biggest thing is they don't need a, they need a point guard that can take responsibility away from LeBron from having to be the primary ball handler all the time. And that's going to come with LeBron feeling like he can trust an individual to run an offense while he's on the floor and when he's not on the floor. Schroeder throughout his career is score first, then point first. And that's tough. But I do feel like on a side note, it's promising that we see guys like John Morant, LaMelo Ball, point guards like that where they can score 
but they're bringing back the importance of being able to run an offense because we did fall in love with the era of guys that the one spot that could shoot and could score in bunches. But when the rubber meets the road in a playoff series, you do need that primary ball handler at the one that can get everybody in their sets, get everybody in their shot opportunities to where they can function in offense without it having to be figured out on your own because I'm a guy that's about getting a bucket for myself than for everyone else on the team. Yes, I agree. Um, I really believe they do need a another point guard. I like Dennis uh, Schroeder, uh, but uh, like you said, uh, a pass for, uh, well, not pass first, but someone like actually Rondo was perfect for them. Like, I wish they would have brought him back. He was perfect. Like, and they went to the championship. Like, he made the right reads and he uh, drove to the lane when he needed to. He just, uh, he was like a second coach on the court because I, I've heard players say that LeBron is not like a, uh, vocal leader he leads by example just by his playing abilities but rondo was actually the one that was telling the players to get in this set this this that and like he he was the vocal leader of the team last year and so they need i believe that they could get a younger rondo like a player similar who plays like rondo but younger because i i believe that uh rondo is uh i'm not saying he could still play but you would like somebody younger who can uh, be on a team for a while uh, on this next run that the Lakers are planning on making uh, if they want to win championships, win now. My personal opinion, LeBron can't be the first or second best player on a championship winning team. I don't think he can long-term. Um, and I think we saw that reality in the playoffs because he was on the court, but he was older, yeah. injury-prone. And when they relied on him to kind of carry this team over the top because AD wasn't there. Yes. And also LeBron has been a defensive liability for the past couple of years, but his, his uh, offense uh, was able to make up for it. But now this year it was like the offense wasn't there to make up for it. And it was just like, Oh man, they don't have no chance. That is also a valid truth. And, you know, I, I think, Honestly, I'm, I'm making it be honest. I've seen it the last two years. I feel like last two years, LeBron wasn't this best player that everybody was saying he was. And I know he has a huge fan base that will do anything to keep his legacy alive. I think at times it's very unnecessary because he is who he is. He's a great player. He's top five all the time. You don't need to say anything else. You don't need to devalue other players within his league to make him feel like a deity. It's not necessary. But I do think the last two years, AD was the best player. But I also think what just happened this year proves while AD is the best player, he's still AD. He's injury prone. And now you have a declining star that's your second best guy. You either need to find a third guy that could take pressure off of those two individuals, whether that's an all-star that could score or whatever the case may be, or that team that you have right now needs to be rebuilt into a team where you have shooters, better shooting. Um, you have big men that can provide a sense of duality offensively and defensively. And if you're going to have a compilation of shooters, at least have two of those shooters be able to put the ball on the floor and create for themselves if yeah. a defense closes out on them because they're a shooter. They have uh, the Lakers have a lot of players with the same type of skill sets where like they don't they're not known as a specialist in any area. It's just like they're. Uh, uh, hit and miss uh, with players like Kuzma, Caruso, 
uh, KCP. It's like they like what like they, you don't know what they're going to give you any night. It's just random. Like and those type of players, I believe that uh, that, that that those days are over of uh, just hoping that uh, they make the big shot or uh, play defense well. Like because it's been times where uh, even. W- Wesley Matthews was known as a three-point specialist, but he was not hidden uh, in this in uh, the playoff series against the Suns. And it's like, oh, they they need more consistent players uh, on the Lakers team. I agree. Those days of you can get some vets and off of reputation, the vets can potentially provide something for us. Yeah, you can't go off of potentiality. You're gonna have to go off of youth and what we've been able to see on a consistent basis now. So. Interesting to see where they figure that dynamic out moving forward. And with that, this is the end of episode 19. But before I go, I want to thank Light On for being able to be on this platform and talk about his product and as well as have some intellectual conversation about FCS football and NBA basketball. Um, Light On, before you go, just, you know, talk about your product again and things you liked about this recent episode that we just had. Oh, yes. Yeah. So first off, I want to say again, uh, thank you for allowing me to come on uh, your podcast. I've, you're doing a great job. Uh, I really enjoy listening to your uh, show. I like the concept of it. Uh, like with all the previous guests, you talk about uh, what they're uh, doing, like the uh, off script piece handling swag football, but you also talked about the NBA, NFL. I like that. Looking forward to uh, this fall season of LCS football. I believe this is going to be one of the best uh, seasons ever in LCS history with so many uh, things going down with uh, Eddie George coming to Tennessee State, uh, all of the conference changes, Jacksonville State, my alma mater is moving out of there, moving out of the OVC conference and going to uh, the ASUN conference with Kennesaw State, who has uh, been a top 10 team for years um and you have uh jackson state of course with Deion sanders with this is the team that i believe people now i'll bag it up a little bit that the team that was there for this spring was the class that everyone was talking about but no it's this upcoming fall that you're going to see the real product that Deion has been working on so it's going to be interesting with that alcorn state coming back uh, how Sam Houston is going to uh, defend their championship. Uh, you got North Dakota State, who has been the champion for many, many years. Can they bounce back like the way Alabama bounces back when they lose, the, uh, when they have a down year? We'll see. And so it's just going to be a great season. I'm looking forward to it. I believe we're going to have more national TV games as the year moves on because I believe people are engaged into uh, LCS football, especially the L- the HBCU part with all these big names coming. Um, I believe it's going to be a great season this upcoming fall, and I'm looking forward to uh, entering the mid-major basketball game, uh, covering the sport. I don't know much about it, but I'm looking forward to learning as I go this upcoming season. Heard it from light on all those sports topics he's going to be covering when the fall season hits around. And with that, it's the Independent Intel episode 19. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'll be back next week with a new guest. Enjoy you guys' day. Have a great listen at this. This is very good content. Thank you.